Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Success That Lasts. Well, here we are again, recording yet another episode from home. It's actually kind of shocking to think that, well, we've been working from home for well over five months now. Here in Oregon, at least, the governor issued the state of emergency back on March 8th. There's a few things within that that I find surprising. Well, first of all, that it's been five months. Time is kind of moving pretty quickly. Uh, But also within that, I'm actually rather surprised at how effective our organization has been, how effective our team has been in moving from a physical environment to a virtual environment. And so much of that is made possible because of technology. Technology has transformed our capacity to continue to work, execute, and add value to client lives from a remote environment. However, there's another side to that coin. Though technology is incredibly powerful, a wonderful thing that can improve lives and businesses significantly, it can also improve the efficacy of the bad guys, the criminals that are out there looking to steal your information, steal your client's information, and monetize it to your own detriment. So it's in that spirit that we bring you today's conversation with David Buchanan. Sometimes being successful is about avoiding disaster. And certainly from a cyber exposure perspective, there's new risks being introduced every day. David is a partner at DeLap and also serves in the firm's Chief Information Security Officer role. He spent his entire career helping organizations, large and small, pre-revenue to publicly traded Fortune 100 around the entire world, protect and manage their cybersecurity exposure. So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation with David Buchanan of DeLap. David Buchanan, we're live. Welcome to Success at Last. Excited to have you. Sad to be here. Thanks, Jared. It's really fitting. Right before I jumped on to today's conversation, I was looking at my email inbox and my family and I were in the midst of taking advantage of some of these low rates and refinancing our house. And in the midst of that, received an email from what looked like my title company and the logo matched, the company name matched, but there were a couple of idiosyncrasies that didn't. The email signature showed a Colorado address, which I thought was curious. And then when I looked at the email address, it was off and And sure enough, it's a spoofed email. So it's only fitting that we're talking about cybersecurity today in the midst of a bad guy trying to get me to click some bad links and send him some money. Good point. I'm glad you saw that. That was with more of us working remotely, especially right now with the pandemic. I've seen hackers redouble their efforts. Like with anything in business and life, there's seasons, right? And usually, even with hackers, there's a seasonality often. You know, the holiday season sees a huge increase in hacking attempts and phishing attempts. Tax season sees a big increase. So it's interesting with all of us weathering through this pandemic together, there's been a lot more opportunities for hackers to take advantage of our 
loss of focus or us being too busy. And so I'm glad you saw that. Way to not lose money. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> Our chief information security officers trained me well. <laughs> Before we jump into today's conversation, Beyond just being my friend, you're also my business partner through Delap and you lead our cyber practice. And so for our listeners, why don't you just give us a quick kind of high level? Who's David Buchanan and what fills your days these days? Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been with Delap here, like it's been 11 years now. And one of the running jokes in the office people like to poke at is the alphabet soup. I've got nine or 10 certifications now. I think I matched that at one time at 13 or something. And, you know, everything. Do you have a favorite? What are your favorite three? One of the favorite ones. I can tell you what my favorite is. Certified ethical hacker? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's a good one. That's, people always ask questions about that one. I like that one. You know, one of my favorite ones to go through from a learning standpoint was the uh, Certified Information System Security Professional. That's a mouthful, CISSP. Just a broad body of knowledge that's beyond security, more business risk management. And of course... You know, I was still being a financial services firm, I do have my CPA, so certified public accountant. I'm an odd duck in that matter, but hey. You and me both. We still bring it. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, for Delap, you know, we just, I've been focused over the last 11 years at just serving our clients from a cybersecurity focus, helping them with controls, risk management, compliance, worldwide, been to about 12, 13 countries serving multinational companies companies that range from mom and pop shops all the way up to Fortune 100, special focus on, you know, the finance and healthcare industries and fintech. And it's been excellent. I've really enjoyed working with you and um, our partners and people here at the lab serving the community. So what's interesting is, I guess, how this game of cat and mouse between the good guys and bad guys as it pertains to cyber is so dynamic and it's almost impossible to stay on top of it all. Like, I guess in the olden days, the bad guys used to rob banks, but they don't really do that anymore. You know, so the bad guys have been able to leverage this technology to impact their business and scale their business in a way that many of us have within our own day jobs that are legal. The bad guys continue to use it to expand their illegal operations. Any sense of how big that industry is these days? I guess if we're thinking about GDP of the bad guys, where does that stand these days from a size and scope of kind of what they're up to behind the scenes in the dark web. That's a good point. That 2019 saw the security industry as a whole at about $156 billion. This year for 2020, the estimates were pointing towards $165 billion with an estimate that by 2023, security, cybersecurity industry would be $248 billion. And if that is an industry focused on securing companies and data and people, just imagine the other side of the coin of those who are taking advantage and making money by hacking us, by hacking our businesses, our families. Yeah, it's pretty scary. I mean, it's persistent. Through our cyber practice, we have different tools that allow us to see what's going on in the dark web. We can kind of monitor that a little bit. And so recently ran a lot of our clients through kind of a, just a dark web scrub. And it was terrifying to see the percentage of our clients that had exposed passwords online. I think they were shocked to understand that that sort of information was readily available for sale on the dark web by guys that had acquired it illegally through other hacks. And unfortunately, so many of us, there's so many passwords these days, the probability of us recycling one that's easier to remember is quite high. But if Great. it's the wrong password, all of a sudden, you know, the bad guys have the keys to the kingdom. Absolutely. You look at some of the stats that are out there, you know, with you know, 61% of the reported 
that's just reported breaches impacting small to medium-sized businesses. And when you look at that, all those that were down, 85% of them were down for a week. Then you've got this, you know, I brought with me, you can't see it, but it's a smart plug, these Philips Hue smart plugs. And I have a lot of smart lights in my home on a segregated network, of course. But I wanted to use this as just an object lesson in that we have so many of these Internet of Things devices, smart cameras, you know, your home security system, your TV, you might, your microwave might be network connected, you know, your refrigerator maybe, that this global connection has got so many of these nice to have, these privileges and just wonderful technology that we wouldn't have dreamed of before, but it also has made us so more interconnected and reliant that before, you know, you think Cold War era where the enemy enemy was so far away, you know, oceans away. Now, when you think about our cyber adversaries, it's look at a sky view of a nice neighborhood, right? Our neighbors. Now we've got, you know, Brazil, Turkey, Russia, North Korea, China. They're basically your next door cyber neighbors. These are some of the top countries of origin for hackers, cyber attacks. Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. And I think it's one of the reasons that maybe it's easy to forget about the day-to-day exposure. I mean, technology is phenomenal when it's working for you. It makes life so much better. I mean, it blows my mind, the stuff that technology can do today and how quickly it becomes normal. But at the same time, it's easy to kind of take for granted that some of these technologies that make life so much more convenient are also potentially kind of cracked doors, so to speak, for the bad guys to get in. I'm going to go ahead and throw out a guess here. Hopefully it's not an air ball. The target breach that happened years ago, didn't that occur a little bit through kind of like connected technology as it pertains to the building? Didn't they get in through like HVAC or something like that? Do you recall? There was a couple. The HVAC, there was a couple others, you know, the Home Depot, TJ Maxx, they got into the wireless. Best Buy had one. And yes, one of the major breaches did, I believe, originated through an HVAC vendor. And that's something that, you know, we just don't, a lot of business owners or us personally, we don't think about, you know, the type of access we give to our vendors, our trusted service providers, the folks that you allow in your home on a daily basis to maybe work on an appliance or work on your own, you know, directed air, electricians. There's a lot of things that people have access to. Yeah. Certainly, we could probably talk about a lot of the scary things that would terrify us, but that's not really the goal of today. Today's to maybe talk about that on this show that we call it the third bucket. There's the things we know, the things we don't know, but we know that we don't know them. But then that dangerous third bucket, the things that we didn't know that we didn't know. So I guess as a business owner, you're attracted to a product, a service, a solution, and then all of a sudden you realize that you have to master all these other things. So on top of finances and accounting and all labor laws, now there's this cyber exposure. So for most business owners, they don't get the privilege of having a highly compensated, solely focused chief information security officer that can really manage that cyber exposure. At best, there might be kind of break-fix infrastructure IT professionals kind of keeping the computers turned on. So I guess if we were to kind of contemplate, what are some of the things that we should be cognizant of as we think about cyber exposures for how do we protect our individual finances? Maybe how do we protect our businesses? Is there kind of a general framework that you like to approach kind of the cybersecurity conversation from? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good way to approach it. It's one that when I first started in the industry, I, like a lot of security professionals, you start with this, we must protect it all. 
equally. And then as you gain experience, you learn that, no, we ha- it's risk management. You can't put, you know, you can't be Fort Knox everywhere all the time. And one of the questions that I like to ask business owners and friends and family alike is, what's in your environment? Do you know? I'm a big proponent of just the whole perspective of it's very difficult to properly manage risk and protect your environment if you don't know what's in it or how it sprawls. You know, we have cloud-based app over here. I've got data and Dropbox over here. You know, my wife might have iCloud over there and there's some key files there. When you look at that, it's a question that you can quickly apply to almost any scenario is what's in your environment? Yeah. So I guess, how do you go about doing that? It's a great question, but it would be very difficult for me to actually answer that with a high level of confidence that I've actually spoken to everything. So is there any sort of a way yeah. that I can get a what is true today as it pertains to my IT or cyber environment? So one of the things we'll do is we'll be sharing you know, on a link, a questionnaire, kind of a checklist of items you can walk through, which is great. Just risk management. Do you have this? Do you have that? But when I ask this broad question of what's in your environment, some of the things I'm thinking of specifically are do you have a firewall or are you just running off of your, you know, Comcast or CenturyLink modem directly into your wireless router? And I've seen that. It's a lot more common at homes than it is at businesses, but I've seen it at businesses as well. Yeah. There's risk involved there. How about, you know, I, I mentioned I have a lot of smart devices at my home and most offices have a lot of smart devices too now, whether it's printers, whether it's guest management, like a sign-in system or a postage metering system that might be network connected. A lot of the time you have those devices and then the question you can ask is, well, is it on its own network itself or does it share the same network as everything else? Because these devices, you know, like these smart plugs are designed to work. They're not designed with security first in mind. They're designed to serve the purpose. And so we can limit our risk by making sure those play on their own little network that doesn't have access to anything sensitive. They still give us all that functionality, but nothing sensitive. You know, some of the other areas is, I like to call it a balanced paranoia. There was a term he'd mentioned a while back to me. What is it? Jim Collins calls it productive paranoia. That sounds okay, right? Yeah. I like productive better. Productive paranoia. This productive paranoia of, it's choosing the right things to be concerned about. You know? I mean, you're not in the core business of cybersecurity protection if you're in business, unless you're a cyber business. Right you only have a finite amount of dollars and time to allocate to it. And that's good. You know, when you think about it is the equation of, I have only so much resources and I need to do X number of things. And as a business owner or entrepreneur or in your personal life, everyone has different strengths. And if you started like a manufacturing company or if you have an internet company or if you make silk screen t-shirts, you might be really good at one area of, skill sets or business and you don't need to be and you probably should be a little more aware than you are about security but you don't need to be a security expert you're in business to rock it your core competencies yep jared yeah. i don't need you to be the cybersecurity guru and just like hopefully uh, you know our clients don't expect me to be the <laughs> the finance investing here's the market movement guru totally. because it's not my area of expertise but we leverage. I wouldn't mind though being a certified ethical hacker. <laughs> I feel like that's a phenomenal conversation starter at the cocktail party. You bet. Tell me about what you do. I'm a certified ethical hacker, not just a hacker. The so ethical what does that kind. mean? Well, totally. 
people give me permission and pay me to try to hack them. Again, in the spirit of trying to help people process what the current environment looks like from a cyber standpoint, knowing that there's a finite amount of time and money that one can allocate to this, where do you start the conversation? What should be some priorities, I guess, at a business level and then I guess at an individual level? Yeah, I'd say at a business level, you'd start with if you have a business and you have employees, you're not just a sole proprietor with no employees, you know, you'd start with one of the biggest running joke in IT is, well, the best way to protect your computers is to turn it off and unplug the internet, right? You can't do that. Well, our people, when it comes to business, are both a source of our productivity, but also our greatest weakness often when it comes to security. Now, that's why social engineering, like you mentioned with that email phishing, you, you know, from the, the fake title company earlier, that's why... That might not be a phrase that everyone's familiar with. So what, to help me understand what just layperson yeah. terms, what's social engineering? Social engineering is just using charm or a sense of urgency or supposed authority to convince you to do something and give up information that you normally wouldn't. So if I assume- But they're usually pretending to be somebody they're not, like your boss correct. or the bank or a vendor. Someone who has earned trust and has a position where you normally would give them that information. Yeah, yeah. So okay. that's general social engineering. And yep. when you look at that, are people are who are going to be social engineered or yeah. I am, or you are. I think I've heard you say humans are hackable. Humans are. And so the first thing we do, I can't tell people because we need our people. We value our people. I can't just say, well, fire everybody. No, that doesn't work. You can't. That doesn't work. What you got to do is train people. So of the short list of things you can do right off the bat is if you haven't provided or been provided with security awareness training, start doing that. It's one of the highest impact, lowest cost things that you can do to improve your risk management posture at your organization. And we're talking when the stats show that 94% of employees connect their laptop, mobile devices to public Wi-Fi networks, you know, 63% of them use them for personal activities, and a whopping 45% have never received any form of cybersecurity awareness training. That's a great place to start. Yeah, huge ROI, right? Yeah. Super inexpensive, but also the impact is huge. I mentioned the email at the beginning of the, the show. I've received all this training to know what to look for, and it quickly identified this as a fake email. That's a byproduct of the training that the firm's rolled out, made available to all of us. So a couple of names, I mean, for folks who are interested is our firm, we use Know Before. We partner with this company, Know Before, K-N-O-W-B-E number four. But there's other great companies out there like Habituate, H-A-B-I-T, Habit, U number eight, Bishmi, and others that allow you to do security awareness training plus reinforced phishing tests just to keep people aware like on a monthly or quarterly basis, just making sure they're cognizant of what to look for. And we don't want to do this wall of shame thing, right? At all. We don't want to say, you know, Jared has clicked the phishing email seven times in the last year and shame, right? We don't want that. But we use... That would spice it up a lot. <laughs> it would definitely result in a lot more uh, calls to security of what are you guys doing? Yeah. Maybe the popularity of IT would decrease. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's... Instead, we use that data. We want to use it to say, hey, maybe you need some different types of training. Maybe I learn better in a different style. You know, it's how can we tweak and provide this valuable information to our people in a more consumable fashion that the point is to help them be better. 
So security awareness training, number one, of course, gain visibility to your environment. There's some things that a lot of organizations have, they might be paying for features and capabilities that they're not leveraging. Like a lot of organizations use Office 365, right? Yeah. Uh, depending on your licensing level, you might have access to some advanced anti-phishing, anti-spoofing protection sets. You might have data loss prevention capability. You might have these advanced, there's all these algorithms that can be run that look for, oh, someone's trying to email sensitive data. Please block mm. that or require it to be encrypted. Yeah, Those are things that you can check by, you might have a Microsoft rep. You can call them and ask what you're at, what you have. Or if you have an IT department, ask them. Excellent. That's a great idea. I mean, taking advantage of the tools that you already have and certainly already paying for. I might be mistaken. Did you ever write anything on that topic? Is there anything available yes. on the blog about that? Yeah. If you go to our website, delatstipia.com, and if you look under, under categories, just sort by the category cybersecurity, there's quite a lot of material here. There's anything from you know how to secure your remote workforce, working remotely in a secure manner, to technical guides on implementing controls, to a, a couple that I think are especially useful because we've seen companies hit with these more often are, you know, where a vendor, someone pretends to be a vendor and says, hey, I changed my bank account. Can you update my information? So the next time you pay us for a shipment, it goes to our new bank account. I've had companies lose significant amounts of money due to fraudulent emails. So, you know, we have an article on there about out-of-band confirmation that when, you know, vendor X emails you and says, hey, I need to update my bank account information. Can you implement this? To, you know, stop, don't change anything and contact your known rep at a known cell number or number and just confirm like, hey, I just got this email request. Is it valid? Yeah. It's just one of the simple things you can do. Yes, it takes an additional call, but if it saves you $10,000, $100,000, kind of worth it. Nope, makes sense. Again, many of us now are starting to include cyber coverage on our commercial property and casualty policies, but there's a whole lot of legalese that may limit some of that coverage, but obviously the cheapest insurance is always self-insurance. And so I think that that's time and energy well spent. Absolutely. So I guess, David, if I'm shifting gears here now, so we're talking a little bit about the business, but for most of our listeners, they have this dual identity of being both a business owner, but also an individual, a mother or father in leading their family and the business is a major financial resource, but there are other financial resources. So I guess at an individual level, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about from a risk management perspective, knowing that the bad guys are trying to get at my information to get at my resources? How does an individual start to approach cybersecurity prudently? Sure. You know, when you think about that dual role, the duality of being a business owner, entrepreneur, and, and your other life, <laughs> of a lot of the time, you might end up using your home computer to do some limited business work. And it can't stress enough how important it is to make sure that you've got excellent, you know, anti-malware on that computer. Like when you're accessing your bank accounts, wherever possible when you're accessing sensitive information or, you know, tasks, to use that multi-factor authentication, which is something you have and something you know or something you are. Like you're, I know my username and password and I have this app on my phone that gives me an additional rotating number or a notification that says, hey, are you trying to log in? Yes or no. That helps prevent people from just being able to steal your password and just use that. They'd also have to have your phone or another device. 
that's really important wherever possible. And then when you talk about protecting your personal life, let's say you have teens, you have children and you have teens or maybe folks who are about kids who are about to get into college. And, you know, you might have thought about protecting your own credit score, your own history, your own finances. And maybe you've gone even so far as to use a service like the Identity Guard service. And that's what I use. There's others out there. I use the Identity Guard service with the IBM Watson add-on that is the artificial intelligence, including dark web scanning and all of that to help monitor and protect my own credit. But what about your kids? Yeah. Like someone could just as easily, even if they don't have an account, open you know, in your 15, 16-year-old's name, if they were able to get their social, open an account in their name. So how do you protect them? You might sign them up for that service as well. Or at the more extreme case scenario, if you know that, hey, you know, my kids don't need a credit card and for the next two or three years or four years, whatever the number is, we don't need to have anything down there. You might even consider just putting a credit freeze on their account. Yeah. But that's an extreme mode. And just know that it's not like a switch that you can just flip on and off. Yeah. No. So it can take more than a day or two sometimes to get that lifted. That might be a great idea for people that know that their kids aren't going to be applying for credit anytime in the immediate near future, it eliminates that risk altogether. Yeah. And a lot of the services that I mentioned, like Identity Guard and, you know, LifeLock and others, a lot of them have family packs too. And so, you know, if you're getting one for yourself and maybe your spouse, may as well just get a family pack and cover everyone at your home address and make sure you're taken care of. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. It's, you know, with three kids of my own, it's stuff that I'm spending time thinking about. You know, I was just sitting here thinking as you were answering these questions, maybe some people know about DeLap's 25 plus year experience in IT security, but for many, they're thinking, that's odd. I wouldn't have ever guessed my accounting firm would have access to this sort of resource. Can you walk us back to how it came to be that a CPA would become a whiz-bang cyber guru? Is that a thing? Maybe that's your new title, Whizbang Cyber Guru. There you I'll go. I'll go ahead and email our, email our CEO and say, hey, I'd like my new title to, you know, just say Cyber Guru. I just got promoted. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess help me understand. Land the plane for people that were yeah. not aware that we had this cyber, vibrant cyber practice with kind of international clients. So the unusual thing about DeLap's cyber practice is a lot of organizations who have cyber offerings have acquired that by purchasing another firm or another service provider. And with DeLap, we actually, it's homegrown. So starting back 91 into 92, really at the push of one of our large clients at the time, United Grocers, the payment industry was in its infancy when we're talking debit transactions and credit transactions on the near future. And at the time, there wasn't any standards around how to protect your PIN, you know, when you're pulling things from an ATM, pulling cash. There wasn't anything to protect those at the time. And as compliance started to become more of a requirement and more common, our client had asked, hey, can you help us with this? We need to do something about it. And long story short, through a mixture of, you know, other partners encouraging her and her own just really strong sense of, I'm going to get it done, strong drive, very intelligent. My predecessor, Darling Cargill, kind of rose to the occasion and built the practice, laid the foundation for what we have today by basically starting and working with the ANSI, American National Standards Institute, X9 subcommittees to write the initial payment security standards around pin and, uh, pin encryption for your debit card transactions. 
I know that's a bit of Greek, but that really was the foundation is that's what got our firm, our, you know, what was at the time, not national necessarily or even international, but our re smaller regional firm on the national and then international scale was by rising to this market need at a client's need, serving it, and then working with a standards body to create strong methods to protect it. And then since then, you know, we've been auditing, training, helping people work on design implementations, and it's, it's been a wild ride. Excellent. It came as a surprise for me when I was first getting to know what DLAP did, that it had this aptitude, and candidly, that the organization was having influence in terms of standards at a national and international level. That's pretty sweet. Well, so David, I'm going to kind of audible here on you. And the topic moves from cybersecurity to David Buchanan. So uh, you seem to really love what you do. And I think that's awesome. You know, I think everyone dreams about finding a job that really is the culmination of interest and passion and can get paid for it. The Japanese people call that culturally the ikagi, the sweet spot, the intersection of things you love, things that the marketplace needs and things that you can get compensated for. So it's your sweet spot. So I guess I want to know why, like, what is it about cyber and kind of what you fill your day with that brings you joy? What gives you the energy that you have to tackle the problems that you solve day in and day out? It's a tough question at times. And I think my answer has changed over the years. I wouldn't say that if you were to ask me, is your passion truly just cybersecurity? And I would say, well, it might not be cybersecurity itself, but my passion is really working with organizations and, and friends and family to solve these looming significant challenges in innovative ways. I love research and development. I love applying technology and making it work for us to make our lives or our businesses better, not just to be shiny. And it just happens that all of these things that I love about cybersecurity are, are actually in line with my natural interests of lifelong learning. You know, with cybersecurity, like a lot of fields, one thing that you learn is the more you learn about cybersecurity, the more you learn that you don't know everything and you never will. And how important you're having a strong network of experts and, and friends and colleagues are that you can rely on and lean on. And that's something I love about security is there is always more to learn. And there are always, there's not one size fits all. It's something that I don't have to just, you know, sell or push one solution for all problems. It's like to, to uh, the hammer and the nail metaphor, right? For us, we get to actually say each organization, while security and controls are controls, each organization has a different risk tolerance. And one of the main biggest things that I love about cybersecurity is that I get to know these businesses, I get to know the owners, and I get to know what they actually are concerned about. I've met some people that aren't concerned at all about cybersecurity. And that's probably not a great position to be in, but it's their position. And they can make that call as the owner. But we also get to work with those who want to have another conversation about it of what are you actually worried about? And let's design, let's look at a solution that actually makes the most sense for you, for your business. Not for me, because I get the biggest kick out of actually developing and helping people implement solutions that work for them. That's what I get a lot of joy of, of course. And with security, the, the growth aspect is I've been able to see our team just continue to level up and grow their own skills. And it's, you know, I don't have any kids, but I've heard friends with kids say it's a joy when you see your kids like mature and just like crush it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm telling you, it's amazing to see your team 
just continue to level up their skills, serve clients and crush it. It makes me feel amazing. Yeah. I think everyone can resonate with that for sure. Well, I guess as we start to kind of put a bow on today's conversation for some, right, they might have a vision for kind of how they use technology today. They might have a little bit of a vision of where they're going, but maybe from a cyber perspective, don't really know what's true today. Thus, it's more challenging to kind of better understand how do we close the gap to get to where we're going. So kind of the now where, how model of change management. Talk to me a little bit about how a holistic IT environmental risk assessment could play a role in better understanding where you are today to kind of create priorities around how to think about shoring up the exposures that exist from a cyber perspective. Absolutely. When you look at that now where how idea, it's very difficult to chart a path to where you're going if you don't know where you're at or if you don't even know where you're going. Yeah, difficult to give or receive instructions or directions if you don't know where you are. GPS seems to start with where you are today. So that's exactly where we start. When we talk about a holistic risk assessment, it's working with, you know, myself or one of our team members to look at your environment, your business, some of your core processes, some of the technology that you use, and have a much more clear image of where you are today, where your key risks lie, and then using that as a, okay, we know where I'm at now. Let's talk about where you want to go as a business and have that inform the where you want to be. Not just, you know, technology is there to empower the business. So where you want to go from a business strategy would then be supported by technology, protected by security, and then we can pretty easily put together a plan that might take a lot of work, but have a plan at least of how are we going to get there? And with anything when it comes to security, you don't try to swallow the ocean. You try to bite things off in very manageable chunks. And that's very important why you do the, let's do a baseline assessment first, and then come up with a phase approach of, let's take care of the big, you know, high value, low dollar, great ROA items first. And then you can assign risk and chug away at the other items as you can over the time period. Makes sense to me. So again, I guess as we're wrapping up here, the last thing would be you read a lot, you study a lot, you follow industry trends, you see where the new attacks are coming from. You have your own kind of cyber lab where we're looking at just kind of malware and different strategies that the bad guys are using. So you kind of seem to keep a pulse on what's out there and then do a really nice job of curating it to us as well as our clients just want to make sure everyone's aware of that resource as it pertains to kind of content and curation and kind of keeping a pulse on the cyber world. How would listeners track that down? So if you go to our, our website, thelabcpa.com, under the resources drop-down navigation bar at the top, there's a link called Cybersecurity News. And that is the curated news source that we have. And some of my colleagues and I have assembled some high-value security news sources and tech-related news across the industries. Yeah. And that's great for folks who are just wanting to, even if you just spend 10, 15 minutes a week, just reading something, just expanding your horizons, you know, that's very helpful. Just the cream, just the good stuff of the cyber world. There you go. Get, get the, the highlights. And kind of a last pointing thing is when I say what's in your environment, it doesn't have to be this massive, oh, I don't know where to start question. Just start thinking, well, let's, Start writing down, like even at home. You know, when you get off the, this, our podcast today, it's, well, do, how many network connected devices do I have at home? Do I have any smart lights? You know, just jotting them down. 
if that provides somebody a backdoor to get into your home and you have, let's say, a home security camera, do you really want them to have access to that? I'm going to try that question out on my next date night. Hey, sweetie, <laughs> how many network connected devices do we have in our family? Don't tell her it came from me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, David. Hey, appreciate today's conversation. Thanks for all that you do for the firm and for our clients. And to next time, cheers. <laughs>